We do serve an awesome God. All right. What? Oh, that's fine. So today we're talking about delighting in the Lord, what it means to delight in Him, and we'll be in Isaiah 58. It occurred to me that we like a good formula. We like uh, easy steps to a prosperous result. You find that people flock to seminars where people who've struck it big in real estate or um, in the stock market to say, hey, they're rich. I want to be rich. If I can do what they did, then hey, this is great. So uh, sometimes we need inspiration at a restaurant. We just look at what other people are eating. Oh, that looks good. I think I'll have that. We, we like to go with what works. We don't want to, if we see someone who's uh, looking fit or who's lost weight, we say, well, what have you done? What's working for you? I've tried to lose weight or I've tried to get fit and ripped, but uh, it's not happening for me. But what's your secret? What's your technique? And, and we try those things, right? We line them up because it's a proven thing that we feel this will work for me. If it worked for them, it can work for me. If there's a good thing we find, we go for it. It's like when you go to Costco and there's all these associates standing around at the end of every aisle and they're, they're giving you free samples so that you're eating things that you normally wouldn't, but because you've tasted it, you're like, this is good, I'm buying that. I usually don't eat the free samples anyway, but whatever, that's why they do it. Now, God's people that we're talking about in Isaiah 58, they had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. They had received many blessings from God. They had been given land, and they had clothes, and prosperity, and vineyards, and herds, and flocks, and houses, and uh, clean water, and abundance, and peace. And they had all these blessings from God. And then another generation grew up with those blessings that didn't know God. They didn't know God. They, did, they knew about him. They had some traditions that they followed. And it's like, hey, if we keep doing these things, God will bless us. And so they kept doing those things, but without knowledge of God, without a real connection to him. And their worship, it just became hypocrisy. It was empty. And they took it for granted. So the question is, do we delight in the things that God gives, or do we take time to delight in the Lord? Do we delight in him? because he is the source of all good. This can be for Christians, too, that uh, we find one who came from a rough childhood, comes to Christ, and has seen what a non-Christian environment is like, and now seeing Christianity and seeing Jesus Christ as Lord, they see a contrast that someone raised in a Christian home just thinks, oh, this is how life is, and don't really uh, appreciate all that we have in Christ, the forgiveness, the love. And so may God open our eyes to see that he is our source, he is our life, and to really appreciate him and delight in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for answering our prayers. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the love and the acceptance, the forgiveness that we have in you. And thank you, Lord, for our church family. Thank you for uniting us in Jesus Christ and for loving us so completely, being faithful to us when we are uh, hypocritical, we are forgetful, we take things for granted. Lord, may we have our eyes opened by you today. Shed your light into our hearts to see our great need, to acknowledge uh, our failings, and also to rejoice and delight in you.
Just pray, Lord, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us all. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1. It says, Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. God tells Isaiah to be his herald. He says, be bold, be courageous, speak the words that I tell you to this people. They had an empty religion because there was no fear of God in it. They were in sin. They didn't see themselves as sinners. In Isaiah 29, 13, we read how God viewed his people. It says, these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. So they were going through the motions. They had substituted knowledge for faith. They had placed traditions instead of the fear of God. It become very impersonal. It was like coming, it's like when we can come to church because it's Sunday. I mean, that's what you do on a Sunday. Instead of, I come to church to worship God and to hear from Him, to praise Him. It's like there's a lot of things we, it can be this way, I'm not saying it is, but there's things that we would rather be doing. But if we go to church first, we can justify doing it. It's almost like eating uh, your vegetables before you eat your dessert. Everyone wants dessert. I remember as a kid, it's like all about dessert every night. What's for dessert? What's for dessert? Just eat your dinner. We'll talk about dessert later. But uh, you, you eat your dinner to get to your dessert. And is that what worship is for us? It's just something that we can tick. It's just a box to say, yes, that's done. Now I can do what I want to do. Now I'm free to do as I please. Now, if you read that, this passage, did you see how he described them as daily seeking him? Right? They were always seeking God. They were, they delighted to know His ways. They were faithful to keep His commands. But as we continue reading, we'll see that they did all these things, but it was not for God. It was because of what they hoped to get from God. They were looking for personal gain. They wanted a blessing, and the worship of God was a way that they could ensure they received that blessing. So their prayers, their sacrifices, their piety, it was indicative of greed and selfishness, not devotion, not piety. And their relationship with God was as impersonal as a man standing by the side of the road holding up a side that says, we'll work for food. Doesn't care who employs him, just wants some food out of the deal. And so they were going to false gods. It's like, hey, we'll worship that God if we can get something out of it. We'll continue these traditions if if it will get the blessing and the reward. They wanted more from God, and so they worked harder to maximize their return. Now, we can be clueless to the motives of others. I'm sure the priests were quite happy with the attendance at temple and the amount of sacrifices that were coming in. And all these things are like, oh, this is indicative of a good relationship with God. But instead, it was empty because they were doing it for them, not for God. And it's good for us to examine our motives too. And the things that we say we're doing for God, are we doing them for God? Or are we doing it because, hey, 
You know, am I preaching because it's Sunday, and that's what you do on a Sunday? Verse 3, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? God's people went to extreme lengths in their religious pursuits, but they felt ripped off. They're like, God, look at our sacrifices. Look at our the duration of our fasts. Look how we have laid before you in sackcloth and ashes. But you haven't come through. You haven't fulfilled my expectations. I don't feel like it's getting me anywhere. I'm fasting longer and longer. I'm praying more and more. But where's the answer? Where's the benefit? I don't see the benefit. And this approach to God is common today. If you don't have what you have, well, pray more. Give more. Fast more. Do something It falls to you to do more so that you'll get God's attention and get the thing you're looking for. Anyone else done that besides me? Right? We all kind of can fall into that works trap where if I'm not getting what I want, and it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. There's a lot of eyes there already. Um, If I'm not satisfied, well, the problem isn't with God. The problem is in me, and I need to acknowledge that, that my heart's not right before him. So fasting, God had, and of course, that is a this idea of doing more so that you can receive more, that's fleshly, that's not biblical, because all we receive is of grace. The law commanded people to fast one day on the Day of Atonement, yet they had set aside two months of fasting, the fifth and the seventh month. They were fasting before the Lord. They were making this grand show, but it was just a show. It wasn't because they were sorry for their sin. It wasn't because they were repenting. Uh, Fasting is good for us to do in obedience to God, to say, God, in faith and obedience to you, I'm going to deny myself necessities because you are my food and drink. You are all I need to be sustained. And we're not doing it to prove a point to anyone, to look good or for status. I fasted for 40 days. Ooh. Like, that gets our attention. We think that's pretty cool. Wow, like Jesus and Moses, Elijah fasting. Hey, if God has you fast for 40 days, wonderful. But it should be for him, not so you can brag about it. I like Esther. She says she proclaimed a fast before she went to the king. Her life was on the line. And she says, fast and pray for three days. And if I perish, I perish. She would not charge God with wrong. She wasn't doing it to buy his favor. She was doing it to seek him and to lay herself in brokenness before him. And God heard her prayer. So God, he says, you afflict yourself with fasting, but you take pleasure in exploiting your laborers. Like you're fasting, but you're making them work extra. You're fasting for your petty squabbles. You've got a problem with someone and you want to see it resolved. And so you're fasting for you. It's not for me. And God questions them. Is this a fast that I have chosen? Is this what I told you to do? Or something that you put upon yourself because you think it's a worthy sacrifice? 
They would have been wise to heed the words of King of Saul, Samuel who spoke to King Saul when he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obey the thing that I've told you to do. Don't add all these extra burdens to yourself to think that I delight in them because I haven't commanded them. I haven't told you to do this. It's amazing that we could burden ourselves beyond uh, the light yoke that Jesus has put upon us. We think, oh, this will make me better if I weigh myself down with these traditions or these things that, that seem important to me. We are impressed with sacrifice, but God is looking for hearts that fear him and obey him. He's not looking for more than his just due. The people were greedy, and they figured God was greedy too, that he just wanted more and more from them. He didn't want more and more from them. He asked for a tithe. He asked for them to come on the feast days. He asked for them to fast one day, and yet they weren't obedient when it came to um, his word. He looked for justice, and there was none. He saw people dissatisfied with his provision. They were disappointed with their unfulfilled expectations, and they thought they were holier than thou because of their their long uh, ash and sackcloth sessions. You know, they would spread the thing out by the street, and people would come by and go, "Oh man, that guy's really devout. Look at how he's been there for day after day after day." And yet, God could see his heart, and that it wasn't because of God. I don't believe that there's a sacrifice man can give that impresses God because of monetary value. But he is highly pleased when he sees an obedient heart who just does the one thing that he's asked them to do. Verse 6. God talks about the fast he has chosen. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free? That you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God had told his people what would please him. Instead of denying themselves good food that he had provided for them, making a public spectacle of their mourning, God wanted people to fast from their sin. Instead of fasting from the blessings that I'm giving you, fast from your sin. See sinning. That will please me. He said, why don't you set the slaves free that you've kept illegally for over six years who owed you a debt? Why not release people from their debts that they owe you because I've given you plenty enough? You don't need to hold them accountable to that debt anymore. Why don't you let them free of that debt? All that food that you're not eating when you're fasting, how about giving that to the hungry people who really want to eat? They're starving for food. You're fasting from food. You have storehouses overflowing with food. What about the food you're not eating? How about those clothes you're not wearing? You guys are wearing sackcloth and ashes every day. There's people who are going around naked who who don't have the necessities. How about giving of your clothing to them? The house that you're not staying in, that bed that you're saying, oh, I haven't slept in a bed for a month, you know, because I'm afflicting myself, making my life uncomfortable. Well, give it to the homeless guy. Let him sleep in that bed. God care. We make a, a show, and it's important that we have uh, godly boundaries in our lives, 
but we somehow think we're more righteous by things we don't do. God's like, do righteousness. Do what's good. It's fine for you to, to abstain from certain things. That's fine. But how about doing the right thing? That's more important. To obey is better than sacrifice. And then it says there, why and stop hiding yourself from your own flesh. You ever had someone come to the door and you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone. You just kind of hide. Or the phone rings. You're like, I'm not answering that. I know it's just someone who wants something. Well, they would see their own flesh. They would see people in their family who didn't have the basic necessities. And they'd pretend like they didn't see it. They, oh, that's not my problem. It's not my responsibility. And they would, they would avoid giving of their stuff to help other people practically. And God's like, do that instead. Instead of these long fasts. The Pharisees, they were meticulous to tithe of their herb gardens. Right? The cumin, the anise, they were counting out these tiny seeds and giving God a little portion of them. Feeling they were pretty superior, pretty righteous because of this effort they were putting in. That they would gather up their, their little seeds and give God his, you know, here, this is for you, or bounce it off their forearm, or do whatever they do. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faith, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So tithing, that's good. You should be doing that. But you were tithing of your herbs to the point where you were feeling justified in neglecting the more important things. They were straining out the gnats and swallowing the camel. Crazy, right? How can you do that? But we do. Justice, mercy, faith. These are the things you should be doing. Don't leave the other things undone. Do that, yeah. I deserve to have a tenth of your cumin, but I also should have you walking justly. And in faith. About fasting, Guzik wrote in the Enduring Word commentary, he says, Real fasting, fasting that is partnered with real repentance and isn't only about image, has great power before God. But God sees through, through the hypocrisy of empty religious ritual, including fasting. In Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican, he told how the self-righteous Pharisee made a special point to say, I fast twice a week. Spiritual disciplines have their place, but they can also be a source of pride for us, thinking that um, we deserve favor from God because of our efforts. Better than imitating other men is following Jesus and seeing his example in giving, in devotion, in fasting, in prayer. Let's observe Christ's pattern of life and then say, does my life in any way uh, resemble that, the life of Christ, when it comes to devotion and piety and giving? So if God's people would heed his word, he says a promise, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall bring, spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. He says, the light will break forth in the morning if you simply do what I've asked you to do, if you're obedient to the thing that I've told you to do. No one can make the morning come earlier, and no one can stop it from coming, right? 
You can do a you can do a little dance, a song to try to stop the sun from rising. It's going to rise. You could try to make the light come earlier. You know, I want it to rise at 2 a.m. Well, try all you want, but it's not going to happen. God has set that in place. I read a quote this week that God doesn't work quickly, but suddenly. He doesn't work as quick as we'd like him sometimes, but when he works, he can accomplish things very quickly. remember going to Israel and, and wanting to see the sun rise over Galilee and we missed it the first morning. And so we got down there extra early. I, I don't know what time we were there, but we waited and waited and waited. And finally the sun came up. And, you know, the sunrise happened in, in a very short time. And we were back, back to the hotel. So when we're in the dark, when we need God's guidance, when we need restoration, when we're seeking healing from God, when we want Him to be working in our lives, we can grow desperate. And in our desperation, start scrambling around trying to make God do something and the thing that we want him to do, the thing we think is the right thing. So we try praying more, or we try fasting more, or uh, we try to do things to make God move. And it's good for us to consider, Do I, is my prayer or my fasting a reaction to what's happening or a response to what God has commanded? His leading for His glory. It's crazy that our fasting and prayer can be indicative of our unbelief because we don't trust God's Word and we don't trust that He's just going to hear my prayer. I don't have to do anything to get His attention besides humbling myself and seeking Him. We don't have to add any extra burdens to ourselves to impress God to say, okay, well, you've done all that, so now I'll respond. God does it all from grace. Praise Him for that. Isaiah 58, 9. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. So when we abide in Christ, we walk in love, we forgive, we give. We're the servant of all. God will hear our prayers. He says, when you pray, here I am. He's right there, ready to save. As long as God's people were in bondage to sin and were content to remain in bondage, God was not going to answer their prayers despite their sacrifice, despite their efforts. He wasn't interested in that. As long as they were speaking deceitfully, he wasn't going to hear their words. It was, hey, put aside that yoke, put aside that wickedness, repent of the evil, help the afflicted, and I will hear you, I will answer. You don't have to be in the dark. Even the dark will be light for you because I'll help, I'll help it to shine. Now, yesterday I uh, had a little mishap on the baseball diamond, probably played my last game, turned my ankle pretty good. It's quite sore. And uh, if you were to, let's say, kick the ankle right now, it would definitely get my attention. Um, and, and we don't like it when, when someone 
hits us in a sore spot. There's probably no one here that loves to hit their funny bone. I actually knew a guy who loved to sneeze. He's like, it's so great sneezing. You know, you just have no control over it. It just, it has to happen. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's a little different. But when you hit your funny bone, you've all had the, you know, the shooting pains and nobody likes that. We all, we don't do it just for fun. When it happens, we all can identify with it. I really think God is, is touching on a nerve here with his people because they, and, and it was painful for them to hear that like, all this is really for nothing. All this, all, all that I've done, all that I've, you know, all those, the fastings and the, the afflictions of my soul, um, that I thought were good. And God's like, but you need to do the thing that I've asked you to do. God's able to go right to the heart of the matter. We sometimes, we, we get a bit distracted and we think that spiritual blessing and physical blessing depends on my effort and me doing something. How many times have we pleaded with God in prayer and we just said, God, just show me what to do. Anything, I'll do it. But when he gives us that one thing, it's the one thing we don't want to do. It just touches that nerve. Like the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, good master, and he bows before him. And he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He says that Jesus looked on him, he loved him, he said, keep the commandments. He said, oh, I've done all that. I've done everything. What do I lack? This is a guy that had everything. Any, all the, the money you could want, all the possessions. And he says, you lack one thing. You lack treasure in heaven. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and follow me. And it said the man went away sad. So he had everything, but he went away empty. Because he wouldn't do the one thing that Jesus asked him to do. He asked him to do one thing. But it was the one thing that the guy would not do. So Jesus exposed him as the hypocrite he was because he said, Good master, what must I do? He's bowing down, making a show of piety, proclaiming his righteousness, and yet he was unrighteous because he wouldn't obey Jesus. And so, he went away empty. Those riches that he clung to, they were a pathetic exchange for eternal life and time with Jesus. God, after you're born again, he is going to target areas of your lives and to, to see if you will yield them to him, to see if you will remain uh, soft, in his hands. As you get older, you get more aches and pains. There can be more things, not less, that God is working on. And it's true spiritually too. You might have been focused on very external things at one point, but God wants to work in your heart. He wants to work in your mind. He wants to change you. Those who obey Christ only find gain. You don't lose anything by obeying him. We feel like, oh, I'm having to give this up, or I'm having to lose that. And God's like, if you gain me, are you losing anything? And we'd have to say, no, we're not. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. God begins to list all of these promises that he would give people who repented 
who trusted in him, who didn't, uh, who didn't look to their fasting as the reason, but to God and delighting in him. It said that they would gui- they would be guided continually, that they would be satisfied in drought. So in drought, they would have a supply. They would be strengthened in their bones like a watered garden, like a spring of water that doesn't fail. God provides living water to satisfy and refresh those who obey him, it says in Acts 5.32. In real time, we don't have to make a pilgrimage to the temple to seek the will of the Lord. In real time, we can seek him now, and he will speak to us. He will answer our prayers. If you will turn to John 16, verse 13 through 15, we read that we can receive this blessing through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 starting in verse 13. People in this world are always seeking guidance. That's why fortune tellers and palmistry, they have a big following. It's because people want to know the future. They want to know what to do. What's the right course of action for their life? There's something in us that, that wants to make good decisions that will be profitable in the end. That's why we make sound investments and we, we consider the future. It says in John 16, verse 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take care of mine and declare it to you. So we receive this guidance from the Holy Spirit, his provision, his care. We can pray according to his will. God will give you strength and endurance beyond your normal, natural capacity. I really like how it says, we'll be compared to a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Now a garden, that's that's planted with intentionality. If you're going to have a good garden, you need to know what will grow in the environment. There's certain plants that you want in the garden, and there's certain plants you want to keep out of the garden, and it will be well watered. It will have everything it needs to grow and to flourish. Water in desert places, remember he's speaking to people in a very arid climate, people in the Middle East, in Israel, and other places there where water is life. You need water for your flocks, your herds, your family, for everything. And those who are born again, it says, will have a continual spring of water. Now, at Camp Kedron, all of the drinking water is from filtered rainwater. They have many tanks, and they have a filtration system. And so the showers and the, it's all, it, the source is rain. Uh, but there is bore water as well. That's for, like, uh, like watering the yard or um, using it for, for games. It can, it has a high iron content, so it can make your clothes a little, if you, if you wear like stark white, well, I don't think they're going to be perfectly white after that day if you've been hosed down with the bore water. But how it works is the, you turn on the pump and the bore water is pumped up from the ground. When it's been raining a lot, you basically have an endless supply because that underground stream is full. That, that crevice or niche or wherever the the bore goes into, 
there's always water there. But when it's been dry like it's been, you can pump the water for a while, but as soon as air gets into it, it stops. So you have to wait for the water to kind of seep into that area again and flow. And I was uh, helping out with the slip and slide this last week for our water activities, and it was black, like six mil poly. And in the sun, that gets hot real quick. So you need water, right? It's a, it'd be a terrible thing for a kid to, you know, dive and leave their skin behind because there's no water. So we're like, we, and we'd have to stand in front of it because they would t- totally go. So we're like, hold on, hold on, waiting for water. And that was a spring that failed, right? We needed water. We didn't have it. So we'd have to wait five minutes until the water came and then we'd hose it down and get all soaked up and go for it. When we are dry, We need to wait on the Lord. But he gives us a source that does not fail. It's almost like an artesian um, spring, an aquifer, that once the hard crust is broken up, the force of the water pushes up through the top. When our hearts are hardened with pride and with sin, it's like we remain dry on the surface. Our lives don't don't show forth the the flourishing um, abundance that we have in Christ. But when we're broken, it's like just the pressure of that aquifer, it's that living water that flows out of our lives and impacts this world for his glory. God allowed Jerusalem to fall. He allowed the walls to be broken. He allowed the temple to be destroyed. This place that had been known for fruitful fruitfulness had become desolate. It was now waste. And God said, I want you to be a restorer. I want you to rebuild, to to close those gaps in the walls, to rebuild those streets so there's a clear path where people can walk. He says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So from the ruins, their land would be rebuilt. Worship again would commence and future generations I love how God has this long-term view. He cares about not just you, but your children and your children's children, and he wants to provide a foundation through your life to impact them positively for the future. Jesus Christ, isn't he the repairer of the breach? Isn't he the restorer of our souls? And it's God's will that you would do the same. You would be a peacemaker. When you're at odds with someone, you're the one who repairs that breach, who closes that gap. You live peaceably as much as depends on you with others. Parents, through your life, you can impart great blessing and strength through your faithful Christian witness to your children. Whether they're young or old, as you continue following the Lord and you're faithful to Him, you can be a repairer of the breach. You can be a restorer of a foundation in their lives when they begin to wander, to bring them back to the faith. In, in work, whether you're working on a team or you're leading a team, through your faithful Christian witness, God wants to use you to bring others to Christ, to, to restore those, those streets and those gaps. And young people, God's called on you to stand on the foundation of his word because he has a future and a hope for you that does not fade away. When it comes to building, no one builds wisely without a plan and quality materials. You can't build anything that lasts unless you have those things. You can't just accidentally build a building. 
right? There's, there's a plan. There's gathering of materials. There, there's a set of drawings that you need to have. In gardening, we have to know what's good for the environment. What will grow in this Sydney climate? Or which ones are toxic, not good for the animals or pets that we have? If you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 through 9, we'll see that Paul was this repairer of the breach. There had been divisions in the Corinthian church where there were people who were loyal to one preacher over another preacher and they had taken sides. And, and he wanted to see them restored to fellowship with one another and with God because you cannot be restored to fellowship with God unless you're willing to be restored to one another. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Paul, he repairs the, the division. He says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. You are God's building. So if we're God's field and we're his building, he cares about what's growing in our hearts and in our minds. He cares about the condition of the temple of this body and our minds. And when it comes to labor, your garden is not going to look the same as my garden, probably because I'm a terrible gardener. Um, I'm good at removing things, not so good at keeping things alive. Uh, so we go with a low maintenance, if, if I can, please. Um, but God is the one who brings the increase in our lives. He's the one who richly rewards those who repairs the breaches, who restores those clear pathways so the way is plain, that righteous way that he calls us to walk. So Isaiah 58, verse 13 if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not, do, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. The fourth commandment in the law of Moses is to honor the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. The tradition of men burdened people with extra work to prepare for the Sabbath. They had become a slave to the Sabbath. It's ironic that they were to work six days, and the seventh was to be a day of rest, and it became a burden. It became a lot of work to try to keep the Sabbath with all the prohibitions and the rules, and it became a burden to them. People wanted to pursue their own interests instead of delighting in the Lord. Now, most of us, I assume, are delighted with a real day off work. It seems like with phones and emails, it's fairly hard to have a, a day off, like completely off. But what do we know of delighting in the Lord? Do we know what that means? Do we, do we take time to do it? To delight in the Lord, not just in having a break. 
Jesus is our Sabbath. He provides rest for our souls. His commands are not burdensome because he supplies us with all the tools and the strength and the energy and the endurance to accomplish it. Because remember, he's the one who causes it to be fruitful. So it's not a burden to serve the Lord. It's not a burden to obey Jesus because he is the one who's given you everything to accomplish that thing. In fact, it's he who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if there's anything good coming out of your life, it's because of God, not because of your efforts, not because of your fasting. Don't get me wrong, fasting is good, but in the right context. When we delight in God, we delight to do his will. And our greatest satisfaction is found in obedience, even if it's a thankless job, even if we can't step back and say, see, it's not, and I like projects because when you finish them, there's that satisfaction of seeing the job actually done in front of your eyes. And there's so much in our lives that's never like that. You can't see in your children or in a relationship that the breaches are being restored, that there is something actually good happening here. And we have to trust the Lord. A lot that God is doing in my life and that he's doing in your life, only he will see. Only you will know about it. And we can take confidence in him that we have our eternal reward. So if you could turn to Psalm 37. This is such an incredible passage. It really speaks of the glorious heritage for all of those who delight in the Lord. There's no less than 10 things here that God tells us what we should do. That's his will for our lives and what he will do. Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Instead of trying to change or to, uh, I guess, change our circumstances, we're called to focus on God, to delight in God, His abundant provision, His promises. It says, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on His faithfulness, delight in the Lord, commit your way to Him, trust Him, rest in the Lord, cease from anger, and be patient. Like all these things, He gives us the strength to do. And he says, when you do this, I will bring it to pass. I will bring forth your righteousness. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So we have an inheritance in God. And God's word, I encourage you to consider this. It's for you today. It's not for someone else. It's for you right now. And we say, but wait a second. Do you see how that other person is prospering? Do you see how things are not fair and right? And the question is, 
Will you delight yourself in the Lord? Don't worry about that. Don't fret about it. Don't give place to wrath as far as you trying to accomplish something. Will you do what's right and wait on the Lord? God's the one who makes us fruitful. He's the one that enables us to know him and to walk in his love. And I encourage you guys to take time to delight in the Lord today and always. Consider who he is and what he has done for you. How he's demonstrated his love for you. How he's given you the Holy Spirit to fill you and refresh your soul. How he has these promises where you can be like, um, you know, the man in ashes, bowing himself, trying to earn favor with God, or someone who has rest in Christ, who's like that well-watered garden, who, who has clear guidance for every day what they should do, and the promise of God that he says, I will do it. Let's thank him. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the promises you give us, for helping us to see our need, for doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, when we have tried to earn your favor, when we've tried to, to, to force your hand because you weren't doing what we want you to when we want you to. But Lord, we delight in you, in your promises, in your word, in the answers to prayer you've already given us. Help us to do the one thing that you're asking us, Lord, and not to walk away empty like that rich young ruler who had everything the world could offer, but he, he had nothing because he didn't have you. Lord, search our hearts. Help us to draw near to you now. As you minister, as you touch us, we do desire your healing. We desire refreshment, Lord. But most of all, we need you. So, Lord, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.